0: Living Corporate is brought to you by the Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network. Hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards, the Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful, and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out the Leadership Range everywhere you listen to podcasts. What's up, y'all? Zach with Living Corporate. Happy Black History Month. Now, look, you know, Living Corporate is a platform that centers and amplifies black and brown folks at work. And we do that by talking to all kinds of people. I'm proud of the network we have um, that includes elected officials, folks around the hill, on the hill. And I'm excited for the fact that we have Delegate LaCherise aired on the podcast today. I'm thankful for her discussion, her insights, and just how she keeps it real all the time. And she's been a fan and a friend of Living Corporate for a while. And I'm just thankful for her. Shout out to black women once again. Now, look, we're going to get into this conversation, which I'm just I cannot wait for y'all to hear. But I guess I can wait because before we get into that, we're going to tap in with Tristan. See you in a second. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Break Room. Have you ever felt burnt out, depressed, or otherwise exhausted by being one of the onlys at work? You know what I'm talking about. Hosted by black psychologists, psychiatrists, and PhDs, The Break Room is a live weekly web show in the Living Corporate Network that discusses mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. Name another weekly show explicitly focused on mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. I'll wait. This is why you got to check out The Break Room, airing every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on livingcorporate.tv.
1: What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. This week, I want to talk about why you should write the cover letter, even if the job description says it's optional. Believe me, I know this isn't what you want to hear. Most of us have heard that cover letters have fallen by the wayside, and so we don't take the time to write them. I mean, why take the time to write it if they aren't going to read it, or if it's the last thing they'll consider in a hiring process, right? Well, there are a few things that a cover letter can do that a resume simply cannot. First, by taking the time to write a tailored cover letter, you show the reader that you actually care about this particular position. We know how being on the job market goes. It's an endless cycle of applying to jobs, and some platforms like LinkedIn have made it easier than ever to submit your application. This leads to postings receiving a ton of applications from interested parties. So by taking the time out to craft a well-written, customized cover letter, even when it's optional, you can actually stand out from the other candidates who won't take the time to do it. Second, cover letters give you more of an opportunity to infuse some personality. Many of us view resumes as sterile documents, primarily since they're written in the first person with a missing pronoun. You can use I, me, and my in cover letters, which allows you to get a bit more personal, better tell your story, and showcase your experience. At the end of the day, people hire people that they like, and cover letters can be a great way to give them something to like. Third, cover letters also provide the opportunity to address any questions your resume may bring up. There are quite a few things that you can more freely discuss in a cover letter that will provide the reader more insight into your situation, which could get you an interview instead of a rejection email. Things like career transitions, gaps in employment, unconventional career paths, and even the reason you're applying from out of state. If you find yourself in any of these positions, you probably should consider explaining it in a cover letter to help your case. Now, can you get a job without a cover letter? Absolutely! But with the job market being as competitive as it is, why pass up an opportunity to showcase your skills, tell your story, and potentially help you stand out? Thanks for tapping in with me today. Don't forget, I'm now taking submissions from you all on career questions, issues, concerns, or advice you think may help others. So make sure to submit yours at bit.ly forward slash tapintristan. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield on LinkedIn.
0: My goodness gracious, we got the one, the only delegate La Sharice Aired. Back on the podcast. Yes. Delegate aired, what's going on? How you doing?
2: And the flashback—it's great to be back. I appreciate the invitation. I'm shocked you brought me back. We had an interesting conversation last time. It was a little spicy, and I'm—I'm I'm just glad to be back.
0: Oh no, I was telling my people. I was like, I was like, Yo, I gotta, I gotta rock with some more delegates because I've had some. I ain't gonna, I wanna be messing, But I had, I've had some other elected officials on, and they weren't really trying to keep it a bean like this. I was like, you know what? Maybe this is the, maybe this is the tier I need to stick with because you know you weren't trying to politic me, uh, which no. was good.
2: No, we need to make sure our people know exactly what's happening and how it's happening. So we have to keep it 100.
0: Speaking of which, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the mayonnaise colored coupe. <laughs> um,
2: you know, that's a good one. I had not heard that, but I like it because it is you. absolutely correct. You uh, know. Yeah,
0: <laughs> like I'm curious to get your perspective and really just get the perspective of someone like in that space. Um, in the space of The Hill, as it were, just like what what was it like kind of like the days before uh, January 6th and then the day of and then after, like just walk me through all of that. And also before we, you know, get into you reporting the news is like, how
2: are, <laughs>
0: how are you? Are you OK? Are your people are you safe? Are your people safe? Is everybody OK?
2: We are safe. My people are safe. My family is safe because this pandemic is still very real is still um, unfortunately adversely impacting us and our communities, but we're good. I hope the same is true in your household.
0: Yes, everybody is good.
2: Very good. And you know what's unfortunate? That in this country, every single day that we can say that we are good is like we're making it. Because there are so many reasons why we could not be good. And so many reasons, every, Single day that that can change, and it doesn't even take very much. But let's jump into this. Um, what did you say? This mayonnaise coup. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to steal that full full notice. But Zach, here's what I will say: despite the fact that you are in Houston, I don't think it really matters where you are in this country. And as we observed what happened in D.C., because if you are an American just starting there, period, a citizen of this country, what happened in D.C. was shocking to the system. Not surprising because we have been leading up to it and we can get into in all the ways how, but it also was infuriating because of the ultimate double standard on display. So I'm shamed that two officers that were involved in those events did come from the Commonwealth of Virginia. And we've since learned that a number of them have come from all over. But unfortunately, Virginia is always in the mix of everything that's wrong when it comes to events that are occurring in this country. And what we saw here was panic. And I'll, I'll explain two ways how. It was panic because number one, the Richmond capital is what? um, Not that far away from DC. And we were aware that there were threats made on every state capital throughout the country. But then also the Virginia national guard had to be given permission to go to DC because they needed that additional support. And as a black woman, but also a black leader, I joined in with people in the community here and all around the state and just thinking, we tried to tell y'all, we've been trying to tell y'all for four years that this was a possibility and that this could occur. And so there was just significant unrest. But I have to go back to the double standard. There was also frustration, particularly among Black and brown people, because that could not have been Black people, number one. Number two, as black and brown people were protesting due to our lives being taken by law enforcement and a problem that has been happening in this country, we were not given the same level of treatment um, or respect um, or grace for that matter. But here you have people who have committed the highest crime that you can think of, and they're ultimately given a pass. And not just during the series of events, but even afterwards we saw reporting that a black protester who was arrested was not given bail, was not able to go back to their home. While white protesters, white people who were involved, they were given sort of a slap on a wrist, we'll check in with you um, in a few days or a few weeks. So all of it, it, it just continues to add To all the reasons why on any day of the week, black people can be like, I'm not good. And here's why.
0: You know, the day of the insurrection. I recall just seeing a bunch of stuff on social media and it even the content that I saw on social media at like like in the moment, right, because everything was getting, you know, tweeted live or their things being live streamed. It looked insane. It looked just absolutely insane. But what blew me was there was way more stuff that happened. That we found out like the subsequent days after, right? And so, uh, but before we get there, you you made some statements just now around like, you know, we we should have seen this coming. This wasn't a, this was really wasn't a surprise. And you said like we've been trying to tell y'all. So from your perspective, and again as a delegate in Virginia, like what to you were the signs that this was coming and was are really almost an inevitability?
2: Well, first of all, I'm going to take you back to let's say this is 2021. I'll take you back to the 2020 legislative session, where in Virginia, every MLK Day, the Virginia Citizens Defense League and gun rights advocates have their lobby day. So let that sink in. On MLK Day, it's lobby day for gun activists. You can come into the Capitol with your guns. And this was the first year we literally had to shut down the city of Richmond, exits, streets, Because of the magnitude of people, gun activists, that were involved in this lobby day. And I wish at this moment I could split to just the image of what we saw, which was you could not walk down the street. You could not drive down the street for at least a radius of 25 miles outside of the Capitol of people who had come in from all over the country with their guns, all types of guns. And we had never seen anything like that in the history of the Commonwealth. And to me, that was an indicator of much, much more to come. That's one angle. When I think about the man whose name we will no longer say because he is not in the White House, but when we think about the individual who was occupying the White House at that time, He has been using many, many examples of proxies to call them out. He has been dog whistling messages, displaying hand signals. He had been preparing his people to act in such a way and make them aware that when the day was to come for them to act, he would be there for them. He would be there with them. And he would make sure no harm would come to them. And that is exactly what we saw.
0: You know, it was just I keep on using the phrase like disappointed but not surprised. And I think I will say, though, this time I was a bit shocked because I I think this the images of these people with Confederate flags running all up inside. I mean, like literally in the halls of the of the House and the Senate, just like, you know, and we find out later, folks were planning bombs. It's just, it was just in, like incredible, like genuinely, like just mind-boggling how something like that can happen. And then for there to be this pushback against, you know, just reality, like, oh well, uh, the former uh, occupier of the White House, he didn't incite anything. This was, this just got too far. It's like, how can, how can y'all say that?
2: Especially when we're still waiting to hear, number one, the extent that there were insiders assisting them in their planning and in their execution and the fact that some of those offices in their locations are not publicly known. For them to be able to locate them and identify them please cause question just how much help they were given um, and the type of help they received. I'll also add that it's quite embarrassing as a country that regularly we promote this idea that we are the greatest and the best country in the entire world in the day of and the day after. Other countries had images of our capital inflamed with Confederate flags hanging around them all across the world. And when traditionally our country is the one sending our regards and our prayers to other places, or serving as the moral compass for everywhere else, other countries had to do that for us instead. And that was a sad day. And I think that has forever changed the reputation of what this country represents. And it will continue to be a tarnished reputation until we get to a place where we rectify the leading cause of what led up to this. And we've yet to do that.
0: To that end, I know um, that on like there's major headlines right now from fairly prominent members of of the House and the Senate um, who are being called to resign, right, or being called to step down because of their position or their lack of willingness to accept Trump's role in the insurrection, as well as just their behavior and their statements made. Right, I'm curious, like for you in your immediate space in Virginia, like. Are there similar tensions or would you say that's only reserved for Congress?
2: No, there are similar tensions. And, you know, I recently read a really good article that equated sort of an equation of what this comes down to. And it talked about a fear of a loss of power, a fear of a loss of privilege, specifically to white Americans and it equating to what we saw happen in D.C. And the reason why it's not just limited to D.C. is because there are white Americans in this country, in every corner of this country, that have that same level of fear. And all it takes is the right triggering, right? Because the article talks about the fact that the former office holder... He did not create that fear. He did not put that level of um, desire to maintain this power in white Americans' hearts. That was already there. All he did was provide a place for it to fester and invited um, action of what to do with it. And that exists everywhere. And if you get the right people stoking that power, uh, flaming of um fanning that flame, um, we are all a day or two away from this happening right in our communities. And so, no, I don't think it's reserved just for DC. And until we really figure out, um, and by the way, not for black people, but for white people to figure out what to do with this fear around loss of power and a loss of privilege, um, we'll be in a perpetual cycle of white leaders being able to tap into this at any moment and at any time.
0: So you you made a statement there, you alluded to something about the fact that essentially racism, white supremacy is something, something that white people need to handle.
2: Absolutely. I mean, let's be real. How many other ways can we talk about this? What other actions do we have to take? We have people who claim to be allies and wanting to eradicate this hate in our country, well, the time has come for them to continue to fight, for them to be the coalition builders within their community and to work to combat this hate. Um, there is a lot of ignorance that still exists and I'm not gonna get into rural versus urban, although it's a thing, but as long as people who know better fail to speak up, particularly in the white community, Um, we will never have enough ammunition solely as a black community. And I'm just going to say black and brown community to be able to combat that hate by ourselves.
0: You know, we're airing this um, during Black History Month. uh, And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about like about accountability. Right. Like there's continues to be this narrative that. You know, that we're being divisive if we seek to impeach the former occupier of the White House while he's already out of office, and the best thing we can do now is just to move forward. I'm curious, like, are those conversations that are being had in your halls? And in general, just like, what has been your response to that sentiment?
2: I'll be honest and say that um, in Virginia, we're in session right now, but we are not spending a lot of time um, talking about the impeachment um, conversation that's occurring at the federal level. And there's a few reasons for that, uh, I will say, because number one, I think as leaders, state leaders, there's a lot of dysfunction, happen- a lot of dysfunction mm-hmm. happening or ha- that has happened at the federal level. And while President Biden has now come in and he's quickly trying to rectify that, we still are accountable to the people we represent right here in the state. Um, and it would be a, a horrible waste of time while we are in session, which is only a short session, by the way to focus on the, the actions that need to occur at the federal level. I will also state that um, we each have our own individual opinions around this matter of impeachment, but they don't formalize in a way that we're talking about them as a legislature. I personally, and I will say as a leader, do believe impeachment proceedings need to continue because at what point do we draw the line? At what point? Do we make it clear about what will and won't be tolerated in this country? I think there was a baseline assumption that storming the Capitol is not acceptable by way of moral standards, ethical standards, and also, hello, the law. Um, but clearly, we're living in a new day and age and perhaps re-establishing that baseline needs to occur by way of impeaching the former office holder to really double down on the fact that this won't be tolerated. But also, hello, who wants another four years of the previous office holder? Without this formal impeachment process, we will not be free of worry that the four years that we just lived through could return. Um, if we don't take the option away for him to seek another four years permanently,
0: you made statements earlier about, again, like this concept of losing power um, and and not wanting to address uh, the reality of white supremacy and just this this ethos that has continued to um, to poison the well and really was is the really the foundation, uh, a large part of the foundation of this country. but i'm I'm curious do you think that there's, there's this attitude that almost seems delegate air to me that it's like a, like it's a, a net. I'm like a, um what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? It's like a, um like a net net. sum What's the phrase? Hold on now. Almost like, almost like there's like a limited, pe- like there's only so much power to go around. Right. So almost it's like, there seems like this fear that like, okay, well, if, if we, if we lose something, that means that we're going to be willing to being oppressed and not, I just don't think that that's true. I think there's a way that we can actually work together, and and equity actually can support the betterment of everybody.
2: That's absolutely true, and that that has been proven time a time again. Diverse perspectives um, and considerations have proven to make companies stronger, to make our school divisions stronger, and to make our communities stronger. But if you are isolated and you are surrounded by nothing but like thinkers, no one to challenge your perspective and understanding and expose you to more, then you are comfortable with your ideals and beliefs. And if those ideals and beliefs are hatred, are discriminatory, and are based on bias, there is no one there to tell you or show you why they are wrong, and I said I wasn't going to get into this, but that is part of the problem of what we see in some of our rural communities. I'm not gonna um, I'm not gonna categorize them as a monolith because they're not. But when you think about where some of the fuel for many of the divides ideological, ideologically come from both on a policy perspective, but on social issues, it oftentimes can be intrinsically linked to the lack of diversity of thought and perspectives within those communities.
0: Let's talk a little bit about like what you got going on now. Like I'm, and honestly like i'm tr- i'm really curious about how you're able to maintain and just do your job in light of all of the activity happening up there i mean like can you talk before we talk about really even you like kind of the things you got going on right now and um and and things being in session right now i'm curious about like how can you how do you compare the feelings from january 6th to the inauguration right like what did, what was that like emotionally, like just dealing with that over a, sh- a short period of time?
2: You know, it really was a spectrum of emotion because for the first time in the history of this country, we have a black woman that is a heartbeat away. And when you let that sink in, I think about the fact that President Biden as an older white man, um deliberately selecting a Black woman, it gives me hope for the direction we can continue to fight to go in as a country. But make no mistake about it, the last four years were quite traumatizing in so many ways, but unfortunately for Black and brown people, we've become all too accustomed with managing and working through that trauma. And so, particularly as a leader, I will say I reconcile my emotions with the fact that I'm here in this moment, a moment of unprecedented change, unprecedented uh, challenges. And as a spiritual leader, I feel like I'm called for this moment. And I don't have the unfortunate um, opportunity to sit and wallow in any emotion. I have a responsibility to figure out for all the people who are depending on me, what solutions am I going to offer? Because without those, we don't make progress and we don't seize this moment and this opportunity.
0: A bit. I mean, certainly, I know you and all your people happy because racism is over again.
2: (laughs) It's not, wait, let's be, wait, 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 wait. You wanna go there, (laughs) you said you wanted to be messy. Let's be clear, right? We're, we could rehash the whole presidential election bit and our emotions about Joe Biden, President Biden. We're not going to do that, <laughs> right? And we are also not saying that Black folks are finally, you know, at the top of the mountain because Vice President Kamala Harris is there and President Biden is here. That is not at all what that means. And, and quite frankly, I think this conversation is important, right? Because what we see is a cycle of, oh, we're successful in getting somebody we want in the White House. Cool. We'll let them work. No, yeah. I, I don't think that there should be anyone who should ever make that mistake again. We have people who are now in leadership and are bringing some, I don't want to say normalcy, but some level of integrity back to the office of the presidency. But There is still so much work to be done to hold them accountable. They make commitments, they put out plans, and we want to see those plans executed on. And the only way to ensure that occurs is to keep the pressure. The same is true in state legislatures. While the federal government, particularly Congress and Senate, are fighting with each other on so many things that we need right now as a result of this pandemic, there is serious opportunity in state legislatures to make sure that they are doing what's in their power to do while we're waiting on the federal government to get it right. So by no means are we somehow now automatically better positioned because of the presidency and vice presidency. Absolutely not. We have to keep the pressure the pressure on and on a multitude of issues that we can get into.
0: And I love that. I, of course, I'm joking <laughs> as well. I know. I know that racism is not over. <laughs> and no, definitely not aiming to uh, be messy again. Um, but I, I do think that i you know, to that end, like it is about pressure and holding folks accountable. You know, my hope, and I, and I have a sliver of it um, again, which is rare for me because I, I haven't really felt yeah. it over the past like four and a half five years. Is that we that it it seems as if there's the we have someone in office who has the the demeanor to be held accountable, right? Like there's, there's a certain level of, I'm going to just say decency, yeah. right? That, okay. It's like, look, if we protest or if we say something, or if we mobilize, there's at least a small snowball's chance that it will be heard, um, right. And respected in, in, by some degree. So that to me is, that to me is encouraging. Um, let's talk a little bit to your point around at the state level, You you, you said something there about, you know, there's plenty of space and opportunity right now. Like, if you were to think about we, we're talking about right in this moment, especially when you think about the fact that Democrats have both the Senate um, and the House. Um, and there's overall there seems to be uh, just far more control that the Democrats have. I won't say state to state, but that's, that's really right. kind of like right. the, that's the era that we're yeah. in is what do you think? that one let's talk about virginia first because that's where you at but then let's talk about at large you know states can be doing in this moment to like take it i'm I'm gonna say take advantage to seize this moment to create greater equity for those on the margins
2: so i'm glad you asked (laughs) um i actually i'm gonna flip your question a little bit i think i want to speak broadly about the country and then come back to virginia So broadly, as a country, let's start at the pandemic level. Um, As a result of COVID-19, the plight, the challenges and barriers that Black and brown communities have been experiencing for decades have been exacerbated as a result of COVID-19. And I don't care where you are. This is true no matter where you are. And state legislatures have an opportunity right now to do corrective action. So we can start on the healthcare front. We are seeing, or it's been revealed and at least amplified that our healthcare structures, I'm not just talking about uh, hospitals, I'm talking about real healthcare infrastructures, your health departments, these clinics that are now being responsible for um, uh, stepping up in major ways and impoverished communities. They have been historically underfunded. Formulas are not accurate. And everyday people should be pushing for these things to be corrected as we are seeing the disproportional impacts that this pandemic is having on Black and brown communities. Criminal justice system, that's a no-brainer. Your states can correct significantly the policing laws and reforms that need to occur that you feel directly. We don't have to even look to the federal government to do that, although we can in a multitude of ways. But right here at your, right there at home, your states can manage that. Let's talk about our school systems, especially in impoverished communities. Not only are we seeing increased levels of segregation from affluent communities to impoverished communities, but as a result of the pandemic and so many of our school divisions operating virtually, we are seeing drops in reading levels, in academic performance, And we are seeing resources to protect the safety of students, especially as they are transitioning to return, be disproportionately allocated. That is another opportunity for your state's legislature and your state's leaders to not only properly address the right now, but relay the foundation and correct inadequate funding models that have existed long before the pandemic. And so, you know, my message is, we want corrective action in addition to the resources we need to get out of this pandemic, and now is the time to do it because of the moment, but because we can't afford to go any longer without doing it. Um, so I just want to make that point. But then to talk about what we're doing in Virginia, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the fact that we're in we're in session right now, but we're just coming out of a special session um, that was called to not only introduce, uh, I guess I can say relief for the pandemic, but also to address the social unrest we were seeing right in the city of Richmond and throughout many areas um, in the Commonwealth. And as a result of that first session, you know, I was very proud to, you know, carry uh, Brianna's law and help Virginia lead the way and pushing other states to do the same in honor and memory of you know, um, who she is and what she represented. Um, But then also this current session, we have the potential to become the first state in the South to declare racism as a public health crisis. I'm carrying that resolution and that's a lot to unpack in there. But at the end of the day, racism continues to hurt Black and brown people in every system of government, through every institution, And on a myriad of issues, housing, transportation, healthcare, education, I mean, the criminal justice system, you name it, we are being um, adversely impacted. And so we have a lot before us this session, um, eliminating abolishing the death penalty, taking up, uh, eliminating qualified immunity, uh, legalization of marijuana. I mean, we are carrying a heavy load of issues and that's because black leaders in the commonwealth, we are not apologizing about the fact that we are not going a day longer without repairing the harms that have been done to black and brown people, especially in the home of the Confederacy. And it's an and moment, not an or.
0: Come on. repair. <laughs> that's what I'm, talking about. I'm trying to repair things as well. You know?
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. So now
0: I know that you're not um a fortune teller, right? You don't know the future, but you but you know the game, Lasharis. You know the game. I don't know the game. You gotta, you know. <laughs> all so right. I'm, a, I'm, I'm gonna dig deep things. into that part of. Okay, because you know what's you know how these mechanations really be mechanizing. I don't know. Now, what do you think are some reasonable expectations for the Black American in the Biden administration, Biden Harris, excuse me, administration? Like, you know. I don't think I'm gonna get my my reparations check, so I can get my truck full of menthols. I'm not, but I'm trying to figure out like, talk to me about what you think are just some reasonable expectations. And then where do you feel as if that we will need to push and and advocate to get some things that we need? Like, give me your perspective on that.
2: So I brought up the special session that we had here in Virginia um, because I strongly believe were it not for advocates, activists, and protesters it would have never happened and i say that because that is what mobilizing and activating is it is about applying that pressure to get leaders to act and that's ultimately why i do not want people to get comfortable because the moment and i'm a leader too so i know it because i react to it the moment leaders feel like everything is calm under control and that they are controlling the outcomes in all things, they're going to do what they normally do, which might not be pushing the limit on these issues as much as we would like to see them do. So, first of all, you know, Zach, you didn't ask about Harriet on the Black 20, and I thought you were going to bring that up in terms of Black people need to be excited about that. Um, but.
0: <laughs> so I wasn't trying to be <laughs> that guy.
2: What, what um, do you mean, what should the Black people look for? We're getting Harriet on a 20.
0: Oh, my God. You know what's crazy is that. <laughs> You know what's crazy? Hold on, let me back up. First of all, let me. You know what's really cool about this is this is my platform. So I'm about to say something, and I wouldn't say on nothing else. But I'm gonna say it here, damn it. This is I own this. It's crazy because, and, I, and look, all, all due respect to the Tubman family, because I know that they they were they wanted this to proceed, right? That don't necessarily mean that I have to agree with it, but respect to y'all, it's just a thing. Black people have been traded and used as currency for the past 400 years, so I don't necessarily need to see a black woman's face on currency. I'd rather black people receive currency, that's right? right? Like that's right. That's, that's where I'm right. at. It's like respect to the Tubman family. I understand. But I want to say they was even trying to flip it like they was going to have Harriet on one side and Jackson on the other side. And I was like,
2: what kind that's, of crazy some real white people? idea?
0: <laughs> that's a wild, wild idea. So that's how we're going to bring it, bring people together, right? We're going to have the person who was a, a seditionist and a and a, 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 a terrorist on the same dollar bill as someone who was a true founding, mo- the founding mother of this nation. So you're going to put both the people together. That is crazy. So, you know, I, I hear you. I, I did. Like I said, I did want to bring that up.
2: See how, I see how I wound
0: I, you up. You, you triggered me. That's crazy. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, right? At first, like this was like a few years back. And I didn't really put on, you know, I didn't, I didn't decalcify my pineal gland. I wasn't looking at it <laughs> with my third eye. You feel me? And I was yeah. kind of excited about it. But I was like, you know, wait a second, inflation. This twenty dollar bill. This ain't even gonna be. I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I don't want that. Um. And but you no, made I, my I...
2: point. You, you're making my point. We cannot mm. get distracted. We cannot settle for tokens of, um, of you know here are things that you should be grateful. Look what we did for you. Look how we set elements of symbols. That is not money in our communities. That is not systemic changes to these institutions. Uh, That is not reforms to our laws. And those are the things we should be pushing for, right? So, you know, going back to your question from a Biden-Harris administration, I don't think anyone is expecting anything less than additional relief because folks are still out here suffering and just trying to make it and mind you dying from this pandemic um we haven't even talked about vaccines and the disproportional distribution that we are seeing around this country um but there is still so much we need to see come out of this administration on the vaccine front. Um, We have to continue to talk about criminal justice, our criminal justice system. I mean, we talked about legalization here, the conversation occurring in Virginia right now, but there are so many things that need to happen at the federal government level. I mean, I don't want to create a list, but there are environmental factors. I mean, we could really have a whole episode by itself on the policies we need this administration to be focused on and that quite frankly black and brown people should be entitled to as a result of putting them in the white house
0: goodness gracious okay now uh delegate aired uh, look we appreciate you we thank you for your time i uh, i can't thank you enough i'm glad that you're safe thank you for joining the living corporate podcast look before we get up out of here where can people support you? Where can people like learn more about what you're doing? Like drop that stuff in here, and then we'll put the links in the show notes. But but plug your stuff, please.
2: Absolutely. First of all, Zach, because of you, every month is Black History Month. Without the Living Corporate podcast, the voices of Black leaders, Black entrepreneurs. Black authors and writers, they would not be amplified in the way that they are. So, first of all, we have to give thanks to Living Corporate and the work that you are doing, Zach. Second of all, Mm -hmm. (laughs) secondly, I'll just say if you're interested in the work that I'm doing, um, if you want to join the fight with me in Virginia, you know, holding leaders accountable. What is it? Uh, speaking truth to power and demanding truth from power. There we go. You can follow me at, at Delegate Aired on Twitter, at La Aired on Instagram. Zach, we're on, we're on Uh-oh. Clubhouse. LaSharice Aired on Clubhouse, you know, I'm trying to okay, keep up with the time. La aired okay. on Facebook. <laughs> so you can find me on any platform. I, even still have a LinkedIn Loy's aired on LinkedIn because we are professionals. we use LinkedIn too
0: <laughs> Amen. Well, look, we're gonna talk to you soon. I look the next time you got something going on because we have actually have a nice little relationship in the dmb in, in our Virginia area. You get at me. I want to make sure I'm promoting you and uh, and we just really appreciate you. Thank God for our uh, folks who are in the street really out here coordinating and uh, lift, lifting us up. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Thank you so much, Zach. Take care.
0: Live in Corporate is brought to you by the Group Chat, a bi weekly web show in the Live in Corporate network that tackles diversity, equity, and inclusion topics your jobs, legal, and HR departments would never let fly. With topics like white supremacy at work, finding out that I'm a Karen, decolonizing DEI, racial gaslighting at work, and imposter syndrome while black, you may be able to see why, but you may also be able to see why so many folks love it. Between our incredible host, and our guests, which range from Fortune 500 executives to academics, to activists, to entrepreneurs, every other Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard is something special. So make sure you check out the group chat on livingcorporate.tv. And we're back. Yo, thank you so much. Delegate LaCherise Aired, for being a guest on the show. Thank you for talking about what it really means to create true movement being focused and not being distracted. You know, there was something that we talked about in there around just, it's easy y'all to get caught up in gestures. Gestures are cool, but when we look at a gesture and take it as meaningful systemic change, that's the problem. So I'm not anti gestures, but we've been doing gestures for a while. We should be looking to create actual change and that's not going to happen until we coordinate as a community and challenge the systems that are in place today so again shout out to Air. check out all of her information in the show notes and until next time y'all this has been Zach with Living Corporate peace
2: Living Corporate is a podcast by
1: Living Corporate LLC our logo was designed by David Dawkins our theme music was produced by Ken Brown